Welcome to Peak Care's Stories of Hope and Healing podcast. We have 11 episodes exploring the hope and healing framework. This framework sets the foundation for caring and working with young people in residential care in a way that understands and responds to trauma. The Hope and Healing Framework was written by Encompass Family and Community. In this podcast series, you'll be listening to the stories of young people previously in residential care, practitioners with residential care experience, and experts who were part of the advisory group for the Hope and Healing Framework or are specialists in trauma and child protection. All young people on staff have been given a pseudonym to protect their confidentiality. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that episodes may include names and voices of people who have since passed away. We have to help kids make reconnection to the parts of their family that are positive and and incredibly important to them and to build their identity in terms of the people that are going to love them into the rest of their life because you're really kidding yourself if you think that's you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the sixth episode of Peak Care's Stories of Hope and Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Chelsea Leach from Pracademics, and in this episode, we'll be exploring the concept of connections in residential care. You'll be hearing from two young people, Jason and Mark, as well as Peter and Tony, who are very experienced residential care workers. You'll also be hearing from two members of the expert advisory group who assisted in the development of the Hope and Healing Framework, Lisa Hillen and Sandy Wilson. You will also be hearing from Dion Tatau from the Queensland Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Child Protection Peak. We hope that their stories and ideas will bring to life this important element of hope and healing. As this podcast will be listened to across Queensland, we'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander traditional owners, as well as the elders past and present and emerging community leaders. We'd like to acknowledge the hardships that have been suffered by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and families in the past. We hope that this podcast is sensitive to their experiences. We'd also like to acknowledge the important contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, professionals and volunteers to the child protection sector. So far in this series on the Hope and Healing Framework, we've covered four areas that are recognised as fundamental to the everyday care provided to young people. We're now looking at the focus areas of a therapeutic approach. We've explored building capacity for relationships in the previous episode, and in this episode, we'll be focusing on connections. In our next episode, we'll be exploring developing emotional know-how with young people, and finally, we will be looking at building a positive identity. In the Hope and Healing Framework, connections refers to a young person's sense of belonging and underpins the development of identity. Therefore, this episode and a future episode on positive identity will have some common themes as they go hand in hand, like many of the concepts within the framework. Connections refers to the young person having a sense of themselves in relation to others, and it is the foundation for belonging. Feeling connected is a basic human need. Without connection, young people, or any of us, are isolated. Connections with family, peers and community are particularly important for long-term well-being. Lisa Hillen, a member of the expert advisory group, spoke about why building and maintaining connections for young people in residential care is so important. You know, one of the things that I think we've lost sight of is that the research tells us, and it tells us absolutely um, prolifically, whether you're in America, Canada, England, Australia, 
that every child in care, 80% of them will return to their family upon leaving care. Uh, they're not stupid enough to work, not work out that we're only in their lives transitory and we're there in, in our lives, in their lives to provide a, um, you know, a holding environment that gets them to the next phase of their life. I think if residential carers and residential systems aren't thinking about that, because what in, in our residential care system, we always try to keep family in mind. And that means, therefore, you have to help kids make reconnection to the parts of their family that are positive and, and incredibly important to them and to build their identity in terms of the people that are going to love them into the rest of their life because you're really kidding yourself if you think that's you. Lisa highlights that while young people may become disconnected from family and community by virtue of being in care, those young people need support to re-establish safe connections with their family and their community. We heard similar feedback from Tony in our first episode on safety when he discussed maintaining connections with family. For some young people, you know, their, their priority to feel safe will be, you know, remaining connected with the people who, you know, they feel safe with, I guess. Um, and that could even be people that, um, you know, their primary caregivers where they've been removed from, you know, for safety reasons. So we need to be very aware of that. Lisa further explained the idea of young people having a sense of themselves in relation to others. She particularly highlighted the importance of belonging for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people in relation to their cultural group. For all kids, there's an absolutely critical need to understand where they belong in the world and how they'll belong into the future. And that's what gives you a sense of resilience and purpose if you don't have that and you think that once this system falls away there's nothing for you then you're in deep trouble you know you're in deep distress so for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids that's even more important because you have to think about not only just their immediate family but their cultural group so so all residential care systems should be thinking about how do we support this young person to connect to their family to their support systems And how do we engage that system now to help young people transition in a really positive way throughout the rest of their life with that? Young person Mark talked about why it was important for him to understand himself in relation to his family and community in order to feel truly connected. I feel like without culture and someone actually going, hey, you know, this is where you come from, this is who your people are, would you like to learn more or do you just want to stay with what you know? You can't develop as a person and properly grow to understand yourself and also connect with the community and your family in a way that will really impact your life and assist you in developing. We spoke with many interviewees about connection to family, connection to community and connection to culture. Everybody agreed that these are all connected with each other and they're not done separately or in isolation from each other. As you will hear from Tony, who highlights why for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people, the connection to family is the most obvious connection to culture. Family being the most immediate and obvious connection to culture for, for young people. Because, um, yeah, for, even for, say, you know, young people from, say, Torres Strait Islander or Aboriginal backgrounds, um, you know, identify as Aboriginal. Um, um, so, you know, my, my children are also Aboriginal, but... Uh, you know, their, their notion of Aboriginality might be different to another Aboriginal family, potentially, because, you know, we, um, you know, have different experiences and, you know, live in a different household, so connection with culture um, would be most appropriate to 
to be done, you know, directly with the family. If young people do want to learn more, you know, around culture, then um, I guess that's where we could look to, you know, the, um, you know, broader family group or the community where the young people come from. If a young person is, you know, uh, missing that connection with family or community, then that should take the priority over anything else. In our interviews, when we spoke about connections, while family and culture were absolute priorities, it was also highlighted that connections to community services and programs are also important for future prospects and practical reasons. You'll hear more about this from young person Mark. So that once that child leaves the care of foster and to leave the system, they don't leave feeling empty or feeling like they don't really know who they are or, and just float through life. Like I know a few people that have left the system not really having much life skills and just live on Centrelink now because they don't really know how to get a job, how to write a resume, how to cook for themselves. They don't have much skills. They don't have much connection to the community or anything. They don't know how to do any of this as they were never taught. Uh, I feel like connecting the whole system together rather than just the resi workers themselves. So while we understand the importance of building and maintaining connections with family, culture, peers and community for all young people in residential care, there are some obvious barriers to achieving this, including young people being in care in the first place. Dion highlights that this is important to acknowledge. I guess one of the barriers too to, to that connection is acknowledging that removing kids is a barrier to them connecting. So the actual fact that they're in out-of-home care, um, and sometimes it's obvious, but it, it does need to be stated, um, particularly if the connections to family and community and culture aren't maintained. Dion further spoke about the challenges of connections and young people often not knowing where their family is from. So if the kids don't know who their family are, where their mob come from, that's a start. And there are different organisations around that can assist with that, and certainly their local Aboriginal Islander services. But if the kids aren't from that region, the, and they are from Queensland, the, the um, communities and personal histories area within the public communities, they can help with tracking, um, tracing, sorry. It is important to note that residential care providers should not initiate the process of tracking families but rather they should seek guidance from the recognised entity and or the young person's child safety officer. Their, their um, biological history. Um, so they can find out you know, where the kids come from, who their traditional groups are. Dion talked about Me and My Mob and other services that exist to help track families and build connections and positive identity. You can find out more about this in our show notes. Mark talked about his experience with reconnecting with family and how the disruption to that relationship after being in care made it difficult for him. Um, I remember one time when I was about 16, I went to a family member's house. I went to my uncle's house and I, I couldn't remember this person for the life of me. I could not remember who they were, but they've known me from the day I was born. They were there at the hospital when I was born and they've known me my entire life. But for me, I had no clue who it was. They were so excited to see me, but I didn't know who they were because I didn't have that family connection and this is the first time I'd seen them in, you know, 16 years since I was born. I'd never remembered them. I had no memories because I didn't have that connection. It is obviously so hard to connect someone at the other end of the country with family in a physical sense, but something as simple as a phone call or Skype or something like that could make all the difference, I, th I think. Sandy, a member of the expert advisory group, 
highlights that because of these significant disruptions, which may be common for young people in residential care, it's important for care teams and residential care workers to work very intentionally at reconnection. Children, I mean, they may have been, the children or young people may have been in care for a while and then um, just the, there's been a disconnect for whatever reason with their family and other people who, you know, love them. And so just for that stakeholder group to really, um, particularly for young person moves into residential, is just to rethink um, what sort of work have we done to connect this child to their family and um, or young person to their family and natural connections and um, do all we can to build those, um, to support them to build um, the sorts of relationships that will, you know, hold them tight um, and into adulthood. That's really important. Dion also stresses that it's imperative that care teams and residential care workers take responsibility for building connections and that despite whatever the challenges, perseverance and persistence is necessary. If somebody doesn't take on that responsibility for, for their care and for their connections um, within the system, it's going to just continue to, to lead to that child not having that sense of belonging. Everybody involved in the care of that child has a responsibility for making sure that that child is connected to to their community, their culture. Um, so, you know, take the initiative. For such a vital element of therapeutic care, it's important that we provide some practical examples of how to build connections for young people in residential care. Peter talked about the little things or simple conversations that you can have with young people in order to understand their worldview and what existing connections they may have with their family. But it's little things. It's looking at photos with kids or asking them about, you know, what are some great things you've done with your family. And I think a lot of times we get scared because you don't want to re-traumatise um, young people. You don't want to talk about it. But it's really in, in that talking, you know, and being sensitive to that, you know, that maybe we get a sense of where they're coming from. What's their worldview? You know, um, culture plays a big part. Um, so, you know, and, and connection to family or land or a place is really important. Young person Jason gave some very practical advice about building connections to culture or community through a young person's existing interests. You know, just say that they're having social, like, social problems or something, or they're not commi- connecting with their culture. It could just be like, oh, yeah, they've got an Oz tag on for Indigenous people. Would you like to do that? So rather than just rocking up to a NAIDOC week where they might feel out of place or, you know, unconnected, they're going, if they like football, they're going to do something they enjoy and then that's a level, like, you know, for them to connect. Um, so, you know, like sort of incorporating their interests with what they're trying to get them to connect into. Dion stressed that there are a range of local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander services in every area that you can access regardless of the community you are working in. Find out what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisation services are available in their local area that they may be able to connect the kids to because, you know, there's, there's um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander medical services, you've got Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander family wellbeing services, you've got sporting groups, you know, netball, footy, whatever sports the kids are into. And finally, Jason provides some great advice for carers about persisting but not pressuring. Importantly, he encourages carers 
to try and take a step back when supporting young people, to build connections with families, peers and others wherever possible so that they can have connections that will exist beyond residential care and into adulthood. You know, the same with family. Just always provide options. You know, it's always good if you can just get them to go once. I think it shouldn't be pressured. It's still an option, but just really encourage them to go the first time because then they can see whether it's good or not. We have a lot of um, carers that like to sort of helicopter the kids. They will, like, you know, stay back, um, let them do what they've got to do to connect, you know, let them talk, let them have a picnic, whatever the case may be, just let them unite, I guess, and actually start being a family again or whatever the case may be. To conclude this episode, we have a few questions for reflection. How do you purposefully and intentionally work to build connections for young people? What can you do in your day-to-day work with young people to help build and maintain connections to family, peers and community that will last into adulthood? And finally, have you asked young people you work with about the longest relationship they have had and what was good about that relationship? Thank you for listening to this episode of Peak Hair Stories of Hope and Healing. This was the sixth episode in an 11-part series. Our next episode will be exploring how to develop emotional know-how with young people in residential care. And I think one of the greatest skills that we often don't think about, even when we talk about it, is the ability for that young person to self-regulate. You've got to be able to teach them good life skills and coping strategies so that when they do transition out of care, they know how to cope with their behaviour. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and gained a better insight into what the concepts mean in your day-to-day roles with children and young people. We are indebted to the time and wisdom of our interviewees and would like to thank the Create Foundation for their support with interviewing the young people. Be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources for the episode. You can also check out our other episodes in the Stories of Hope and Healing series through your favourite podcast app or by visiting peakcare.org.au or pracademics.org.au. This has been produced and narrated by Pracademics Inc. All music has been produced by me, Matthew Schrader. 